How you guys doing? Yeah? Chilling? Cool. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, if you, I would invite you to, to join me in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. We're kind of looking at a big chunk of scripture. While you do that, I'll ramble a little bit. If you're new, if you've just joined us for the past couple of weeks, on the chairs, uh, there should be these connect cards. We'd love to hang out. We'd love to connect, fill one out, and drop it in the offering basket. In addition to that, there should be some Bibles on the seats. And uh, man, if you don't have one, if you need one as we walk through Philippians, please take that. That is our gift to you. Thanks for hanging with us. Uh, And if there's nothing on the road, there should be some in the back connect desk. Uh, what else do I want to talk about? Oh, uh, one more thing. I think it'll be in the video announcements, but I just wanted to kind of give a little bit uh, uh, of elaboration. Uh, today, we're going to be having our membership class. And so the membership class is, is two weeks. So it's this today, this Sunday, and next Sunday. And so if you've been curious about who we are, what we believe, kind of all, all the things behind the scenes storehouse, uh, man, I would invite you to participate and join us uh, in that membership class. In addition to that, if you've been with us for a while and you think you're a member, but you might not necessarily not be one and you're not sure if you are or not, come hunt me after service. I'll let you know. Uh, and, and if you're able to come be a part of the class, I'd, I'd love for you to, to, to be there. Last week, uh, all that being said, let me kind of jump in. So last week, uh, Pastor Jeff was here. He walked through the opening of Philippians chapter 2. I had the honor of privilege uh, and, and privilege of preaching in Harlingen, and that was really cool. Man, I, I love Harlingen. I love Pastor Jeff and Pastor Chris. They have been absolutely wonderful to me. They're great friends. I hope you were blessed by Pastor Jeff as he was up here preaching. Uh, one of the things that we started talking about because we hang out so much is uh, something called a, a family reunion where both churches kind of get together and we do something. When and how that's going to look, I don't know yet, but that's something that we're planning uh, right now for the spring. I think that would be just really, really cool given the history of both of our churches. Um, and so anyway, just thanks to, to Pastor Jeff for being here. Now, we're going to dive into uh, God's Word. So this is what I'd like to do. Uh, I'm going to read verses 12 through 18, and then I'm going to pray, and then we'll just dive into our time. Now, man, so this morning, I had uh, one giant cup of coffee, and then, then I also, I, I'm also drinking cold brewed coffee right now. So I'm like, I'm like wired. I'm thinking, and I could, I could see sound waves. And so... So if I go really fast, I'm really sorry. It's just the only thing that could keep me awake at, at 6.30, but whatever. Anyway, um, let's, uh, where are we? Verse 12, here we go. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights 
in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be proud, or excuse me, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also, uh, you, sh- you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. God, as we have come before you in worship, through song, we come before you through worship in the preached word. God, my prayer is that you would be glorified, that lives would be changed, that hearts would be transformed, that minds would be renewed. Additionally, God, I pray that I would be set aside and that I would merely be an instrument and that you would speak to your people, that you would work in your people for the glory of your great name. We thank you for the letter to the, Philippian, uh, to the Philippians, and we thank you for this time. Again, may you be praised. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. So before I jump into Philippians 2, I'd actually like to start by reading Proverbs 29, 18. And I'll tell you why after I read it. The psalmist says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. When the psalmist is talking about prophetic vision, he is talking about the Word of God. That without the Word of God, we have no restraint. That we lack knowledge, not just about God, but about ourselves and what we are to do and who we are. And my concern in light of what the psalmist says for us today is that oftentimes we don't ground ourselves in the Word of God because we don't want to. And we say things like we don't have time. And we say things like we're just too busy. And we amount to a bunch of other things or we put a bunch of other things on our plate that really serve as excuses. Tragically, I think one of the things that most concerns me is that many believe that they are Christians but really are not. Because we don't ground ourselves in the Word of God, so that we would worship God, so that we would know God, so that we would more understand God, and in turn understand ourselves. Oftentimes, I think believers, even nominal Christians, will uh, subject themselves to the excuse of, it's someone else's job to feed me and ultimately sustain me. And I think that one is a little bit more true than others. And so in light of what Paul is saying in Philippians 2, what we're going to see, or in this section of Philippians 2, we're going to see Paul have a very encouraging, yet very strong admonishment to the church to uh, submit themselves and immerse themselves in the Word of God. 
Much like we talk about up here on the pulpit, we talk about how, man, before God tells you what to do, he tells you who you are. And so we're going to see a little bit of that today through Paul in Philippians 2, but we're going to dive a little bit more uh, beneath that surface. And so we start in verse 12. Now, if you love to take notes, please do so. I encourage notes. See, they're really bad. So um, I circle everything. Here we go. Verse 12, he begins by saying, therefore. Circle that word. That's really important. Every time you see the word therefore, you need to ask why. And the reason behind it is that the word therefore implies a conclusion that he is beginning to land the plane, so to speak. In this case, he is beginning to land the plane in chapter 2, and he is going to summarize what he has just told them, or he is going to give them the result of what he has just told them. And if we briefly refresh our minds to what Pastor Jeff was talking about last week at the beginning of Philippians 2, Paul talked about having the mind of Christ, that he addresses the Philippian church and he says, have unity and have the mind of Christ. He says to oppose selfish ambition and actually fight for and seek unity. One of the other things that Paul does and writes is something known as the Christ hymn, where he goes on to talk about Jesus as the ultimate example of humility and service. That is a brief overview of what Paul has just said in chapter 2. And then we come to verse 12 and he says, therefore, in other words, in light of what I just told you, Opposing selfish ambition, uh, having the mind of Christ, Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. In light of all of that, let me communicate something else. Let me begin to conclude and land the plane on what is important. So therefore, my beloved, that tells us two things. Number one, it tells us Paul's heart for the Philippian church, that he loves them, he cherishes them. In chapter 4, we will see that he longs to be with them. But it also implies that he is talking specifically to Christians. Therefore, my beloved, he is talking, he is writing from prison to the church. He goes on and says, As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to give you kind of a, a big picture, and then we'll break it down in light of this verse. Verses 12 and 13 have to deal with something called sanctification. Verses 12 and 13 have to deal with something called sanctification. Now, there is a what and a who that comes with sanctification. Sanctification is the ongoing process of salvation. That we grow in our spiritual maturity. That we grow in our understanding of who God is and what God has done. That we grow in our love and in our affection for Jesus, while at the same time mortifying or putting to death our sin. That's sanctification. That is the what. The who is that sanctification is what we call synergistic. 
In other words, there are two agents involved in sanctification. There is God and there is man involved in sanctification. Do not confuse sanctification with something called justification. In brief, justification is God declaring a sinner righteous before him on the account of Jesus' death on the cross. That is a one-time event, and that is monergistic. In other words, there is only one agent at work in this, in justification, and that is God. God is the only one at work in justification. When we come to sanctification, we see two agents. We see God and man. Verses 12 and 13 begin to teach us what the roles are. And Paul begins with man's role in sanctification. So I'll read it one more time. I wanted to give that picture, but he read it one more time. He says, As you always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Here's what Paul is telling them. Paul is telling them about something they've always been doing, that they have always obeyed. It's referring to the past, that they've done a really good job as a people, as a church, that they are growing in their sanctification. But then he adds this little note. He says, not only as in my presence. In other words, don't just obey. Don't just do the things you're supposed to do because I'm here. Right? He goes on to say, but much more in my absence. The admonishment here for the Philippian church is that they are to become obedient and grow faithful on their own. That they are not supposed to depend on Paul, but they are to depend on the Word of God. This dude is riding from a Roman prison. He is shackled up. He has 24-7 supervision. And he is telling them, don't bank on me, but bank on the finished work of Jesus. Bank on the words of Jesus. Bank on the promises of Jesus. I am leaving you to be faithful and to grow on your own as you submit to God's word. And he continues. But much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. This is still dealing with man. It says work out your own salvation. You could circle work. You can underline work out. Whatever it is you want. What's so important about that little phrase is that number one, it's written in the present tense which means it's something that happens now, that should be happening right now and in the daily. Number two, it's an imperative. When Paul says work out, he is commanding them to do something about their salvation, their sanctification right now. These are individuals who already belong to Jesus. And as he talks about their sanctification, he is saying work it out right now. He's referring to obedience. He is saying, obey God's word right now. As you are growing, do business with it right now. 
bank and depend on the work of God, on the word of God, and on the promises of God right now. Not tomorrow, not later on in the week, not when CG starts, but right now. Obedience is always linked to sanctification. It's always linked to sanctification. How this would apply to you and I, how this would apply to you and I, is that your obedience has nothing to do with whether I'm up on this stage or not. Your obedience has nothing to do with whether or not your CG meets on Wednesday or not. Your obedience has nothing to do with whether or not you're able to meet with the person who disciples you this week. There is ownership and effort that comes with sanctification on your half or on your behalf. So work it out now. I think this is the section, this is the area where many Christians begin to make excuses. I don't know if I'm getting really fed on Sunday mornings and, uh, you know, CGs on Tuesday. That's weird. I don't really like that time. And uh, I don't know about this whole discipleship thing. It's kind of weird. They asked me to read my Bible. Who are they? Right? I think many times Christians make way too many excuses and bank too much on someone else to do the work for them. They bank on someone else to do the work for them. And then when that person, including myself, fails them, they then go on to say, church wasn't for me. See, they failed me. You are to bank on the finished work of Jesus. That is what you are to bank on. That is where you see growth. I will fail you. I've probably, more than likely, I'm pretty positive, I have already failed you. Your CG leaders will drop the ball. The person who meets with you weekly is going to drop the ball. You don't bank on man. You bank on the finished work of Jesus. So stop making excuses and work out your salvation now. Not tomorrow, not after lunch, but now. That's what Paul is saying here. It is an imperative. It is strong. He's saying, do this work now. It is a command. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Holiness is not casual. Holiness is not casual. In fact, Dr. Stephen Lawson writes, to live in disobedience to the word of God is to to live in rebellion to the lordship of Jesus. Holiness is not casual and we play an active role in sanctification. So when the apostle transitions and says, with fear and trembling, he is referring to the fear of the Lord. You can read about it in Psalms and in Proverbs. He's referring to the fear of the Lord. And it is not this healthy, respected fear, but it is a fear that is grounded in reverence. 
in reverence of who God is, in reverence of what God has done, in reverence of what God is doing, and in reverence of His glory. And that reverence leads us to worship God. It leads us to love God. It leads us to submit to God. Because we bank on the finished work of Jesus. Paul continues, verse 13, I think, right? Yeah. And he says, for it is God who works in you. So verse 12, in light of sanctification, talks about man's role. Verse 13, he's now talking about what God does. Okay? Here we go. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 13 is God's role in sanctification, and it begins with him initiating salvation because it is only God who can change the heart of an individual. It is only God who can give us a new heart and renew our thinking. The good will and work of an individual is because of the work of God in the believer. What is, man, what, is, what does that mean? What it means is that our desire, our willing and desire to live and work for God comes from God. It comes from the empowering presence of God in the believer. That's what it means. It means that God is at work in the believer, that he places his Holy Spirit in the believer, transforming us, convicting us of our sin, counseling us, guiding us, leading us. He does not work or speak apart from Scripture. God is at work in the believer. Our desire to do good, our desire, our willingness to uh, live for God, to work for God comes as a result of his work in us. That's how both play a role in sanctification. That's where we are to bank. Let's go to Psalm 127, verse 1. You have to turn there, but I mean, you can. <clears throat> Psalm 127, 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There is two things. There are two active agents in sanctification. It is God at work in the believer, and it is the believer taking ownership of their walk with God. In this section, Paul is not saying, let go and let God he is not saying just let Jesus take the wheel. All right? He is not saying that. He is saying that God is at work in the believer and that we are responsible. That when it comes to cutting off our sin, we are supposed to do whatever it takes to cut off that sin. When it comes to temptation, we are supposed to flee. We make the decision to flee and run the other way. For someone to say, man, just let go and let God, that just means you don't want to put in the work and you're making excuses regarding your own growth. And later on in this section, all you're doing is forfeiting your spiritual maturity. That's all you're doing. This isn't let go and let God. If anyone says that on social media, unfollow them. Okay? 
poor Jesus, take the wheel. Isn't that a song? Yeah, don't listen to it. We want to be theologically accurate here. All right, here we go. Verses 14 to 16. All right, let's take a coffee break. (laughs) All right, verses 14 and 16. Paul begins by saying, Do all things. Actually, I'll just read the whole thing because it's really short. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. He's about to talk about the Christian life here. He says, Do all things without grumbling. Excuse me. Do all things without grumbling uh, and disputing. Uh, Yeah, that, that is verse 14. When Paul writes to do all things, he's talking about anything and everything that you're involved in. You're a student, give glory to God. You're a parent, do all things to the glory of God. You're a business owner, do all things uh, to the glory of God. You're a teacher, do all things to the glory of God. You're a stay-at-home parent, do all things according to the glory of God. Uh, I don't know, whatever, whatever job you might have, do all things according to the glory of God. All things. Uh, in the Greek, it means all. Okay? all things. Do all things without. That means it's absent. That means it's ceased without grumbling or disputing. In short, without complaining. Without complaining. If we want to put a barometer on our spiritual maturity, this is a really good verse for that. The reason for that is because the more spiritually mature we are, the more we will actually embrace grace and gratitude for where God has us. However, on the other side, the more spiritually immature we are, the more we will find ourselves grumbling, disputing, and complaining. That we will be like Israel in the wilderness, complaining to Moses. And really, as they are complaining to Moses, check it. Like God brought them out of slavery from Egypt, and then they're like in the wilderness. And then they're considering, thinking that going back to slavery was actually not that bad of a, you know, like of a life. Right, and I could just see kind of God or Moses being like, "Are you are you serious, bro?" Like he's he's getting there. But but here's the thing, like. The people were grumbling and complaining to Moses, and really they're complaining to God. Really they're shaking their fists to God. I'm not saying that you can't bring uh, concerns or questions. That's different. That is way different, I think, than complaining. Many of you like to complain. Whether it's the circumstance that you find yourself in, whether it's, it's warm in the incubator, I don't know. But but you enjoy it, and really what you're doing as you put a face to it is you're just shaking your hand at God, or you're shaking your fist at God. That's what it is. When we fail to rejoice, we fall into grumbling and disputing. And right now, we're going to see that if anyone if anyone has reason to complain, to dispute, to grumble, it's Paul. And that's the last thing he's doing. Given his circumstance, given his circumstance, that's the last thing he is doing. 
So he goes on. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. That you, you could circle that, that means he's going to give the result. Like if we don't grumble and complain, this is the result. That you may be blameless. That does not mean sinless. That means that no one can bring accusation to you. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So he's saying you are different. You are distinct. Don't grumble or complain because you are distinct. That you are a royal priesthood. He continues, shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul says a lot of things in this area. But when it comes to who we are, when we don't grumble, when we don't complain, man, he says that we are blameless, not sinless, but he says that we are blameless, that we are innocent, that we are children of God. That's beautiful because he's reminding them and us of our identity. That before God tells us what to do, he tells us who we are, that we belong to him, that we belong to him. And in addition to that, what we do, that we shine as lights. He's he's just using other words to talk about our identity. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about our identity here. That when we don't complain, when we don't grumble, when we don't dispute, what ends up happening is that we are reminded of who God says we are, of what God has done for us, of what God is doing in us, and as a result, what God is doing through us, and that is that we are to shine as lights in the world. Now, with that being said, in this same section, Paul gives three things that we forfeit when we grumble and complain. He gives three things that, we, that happen when we grumble and complain. The first one is, and I mentioned this earlier, is that we actually forfeit our sanctification. We stunt our growth. When we start complaining about where we are, where we start complaining about what's going on, when we start complaining, not, and here's the thing, there's a difference in even being in a hard season where you're discouraged. I'm not knocking that. That's real. I'm talking about complaining. Like you know what complaining is, Right? What Paul is saying here is that when we complain in these seasons, when we complain about where God has us, when we complain about what God is doing, whether it's immediately or slowly, when we complain about that, we're actually stunting our growth. We're stunting, we're forfeiting our spiritual maturity. It is one thing to go through a trial and it be difficult and sometimes discouraging. It is another thing to stunt your growth in the midst of that trial by complaining. That's what he says. That we forfeit our sanctification. We forfeit our growth. That we forfeit being blameless. We forfeit being innocent. Man, we forfeit being children of God. Number two, he says that we forfeit our witness. Right? He goes on to say 
They were children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, that we forfeit our witness, that we strip evangelism of its power because we are grumbling and we're complaining. And when we grumble and when we complain, instead of being distinct in our walk with the Lord among non-believers, we actually blend in and there is no difference. There is no difference. So those who don't know Jesus don't want to know Jesus. They don't want to know Jesus because they see you grumbling and complaining. In Matthew 5, see if I can find this. This is Matthew 5, verses uh, 13 to 16. This is what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That we are distinct, that we have been made alive through the Word of God. In addition to that, listen to 1 Peter 1.23. He writes, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. We forfeit our witness to speak the word of God when we grumble and complain and stunt our growth as a result of our grumbling and complaining. That we're no different now. And I'm not saying you're not going to fail because you are. I'm not saying you're not going to drop the ball because you are. All of us will. We're going to drop the ball. But what seems to be more important to individuals when they drop the ball is they're complaining about dropping the ball. And so we lose our witness. And instead of evangelizing, we're complaining. Instead of making much about Jesus and talking uh, and sharing with what he's done, who he is, we forfeit our witness. There's nothing distinct about us. The third thing Paul says is that others' work or investment in us would be in vain. He goes on to say, the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, that is the last day, in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. He's saying, man, don't grumble, don't complain, Embrace who God says you are. Do the things God has called you and made you to be so that I would know my investment in you was not in vain. So that I would know that all the time, investment, money, all those things that I poured into you would not be in vain. That I would actually be super proud of you on the day of Christ. That I would rejoice in seeing what God has done for you, is doing in you, and will do through you. That's what he's saying. That Man, I want to be proud But when we grumble and when we complain, at times we forfeit others' investments in us. I was talking to a gentleman a couple weeks ago, and he was talking to me about one of the guys that that regularly meets with him. 
And I said, how's it going? And he said, I, can't, I just feel like I'm constantly letting him down. Okay, well, why are you constantly letting him down? Well, because I don't do the things he asks me to do. Yeah, that would, that would constitute letting someone down, I guess. And, uh, and so he says, what should I do? I said, I, I think you should go to him. You should apologize. And the kind of investment that he gives in you, I think you should own it and run with it. That you should, man, fix your eyes on Jesus, that you would listen to your brother because he loves you, and that you would, man, that working out part, working out salvation, that you would run with it. And he was like, yeah, that sounds good. I don't know if he's done it. But that's an example of how sometimes it feels like investing in others, pouring into, out of love, out of care, out of wanting to see them grow, and then going the opposite direction because we want to go the opposite direction. Paul is saying here, don't grumble and complain. Don't let my investment in your life be done in vain. I want to cheer loudly for you on the last day. I want to see all the work that God has done in you and through you. I want to make a big deal out of it. Man, those are mine, the Philippians. I, man, I was with them. They're awesome. Look at what they've done. Likewise, for us, man, whether it's a pastor, whether it's your group leader, whether it's the person you meet with regularly to disciple you, man, don't waste that time. Don't waste that time. Own it. Ask questions. Don't complain. Own it and ask questions. Move forward on it. Don't waste that investment. And he concludes, verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also, you should be glad and rejoice with me. The words, even if, are written in the present tense. Paul understands that his life could end at any moment. Whether it's at the time of that writing or the next day, he is aware that his life could end at any moment. And in doing so, he says something really epic. If I am to be poured out. Now that has both references in the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 12, right? That, that pouring out as a sacrifice, that it pleases God, that it is an act of worship. But it also has Greco-Roman uh, culture reference with that. That pouring out of wine on the ground or an altar meant that there was going to be a sacrifice, Right? So Paul is very specific about the language that he's using in this section. And so he says, even if I am to be poured out, what he's saying is, if his life is poured out as a sacrifice on the account of the Philippian sacrifice, on their service and their faith, he says, it's worth it. It is worth it. In fact, it is a win for the gospel. That's what he's saying. If my life is sacrificed in light of the work God is doing in you. That's a win for the gospel. And this is something that he talks about regularly. He mentioned this in chapter 1, where he says, uh, to, to live is Christ, to die is gain. 
In addition to that, in Romans chapter 9, he's talking about his friends. He goes on to say, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. In Romans 9, what he is saying is, man, I, my heart is filled with anguish. I would give up my salvation. I would give up uh, being with Christ so that my friends would come to know Jesus. So that the gospel may be proclaimed. So that people would be saved. So that more and more people would come to know Jesus. I will forfeit my spot if it means others coming to know Jesus. And then we go back to Philippians and he's telling them something similar. That if I am to be sacrificed on the account of your work, the work that God is doing in you and for you and through you, it's a win. It's a win for the gospel. That means more people will come to know Jesus. That means his glory will be reigning forever. That more and more people will submit themselves to his work, words, and promises. He's saying it's worth it. His joy is not in the circumstance. And we've talked a lot about this over this past year, about circumstance and joy. And we're going to bring that back up later on in this letter. But he goes on to say that his joy is not in the circumstance, but his joy is actually found in the finished work of Jesus. And Paul invites the Philippians to rejoice with him. If anyone had a case for complaining, for grumbling, for disputing, it is the Apostle Paul. He is shackled up in chains. He has guards watching him 24-7. After writing this, he was beaten and thrown into prison. He is the one who should be complaining about what's going on in his life. Yet he tells the Philippians that he is rejoicing at the work God is doing and that he invites them to rejoice with him so that they would stand on solid ground so that they would stand on solid ground, on the ground that Jesus has already conquered through his death. That's what he is inviting them to stand in and rejoice in. That's what he's, stand, that's what he's telling them to do. Because for the Philippian church, persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. So he's telling them to stand. And we'll cover that word stand more in chapter 4. But just so you know, what he is inviting them to do is to take joy in the work Jesus has already conquered. That's what he's banking on. And so I would close with this. Church, the Christian life is a demonstration and it is a declaration of the work of God in the believer for the glory of God. I'll say that one more time. The Christian life is a demonstration and a declaration of the work of God in the believer for the glory of God. And so if you are a believer, if you are a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, everything that you do, both in demonstration and in declaration, is for the glory of God, so that more people would come to know Jesus, so that more people would come to submit and follow Jesus. And if you find yourself grumbling and complaining 
constantly, consistently, and in short, always repent. Repent and fix your eyes on Jesus. Stand in the ground that He has already conquered through His death on the cross. Repent of your complaining and of your grumbling and of your disputing and fix your eyes on Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, this is the invitation that He invites you to come to Him. That confession of your sin is actually a powerful weapon that bringing things that are in the dark, you bring them to the light so that through confession, they would be smashed. And what I love about what the Bible says is that God is faithful to forgive and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And so the invitation is to come to Jesus, to confess your sin, to be made new, and to be made in his likeness and in his image. Join me in prayer. God, as we begin to close our time, man, Lord, we're all guilty of complaining. We are all guilty of being like Israel, where we constantly complain, where we're constantly grumbling where we're constantly uh, disputing. And we fix our eyes on the circumstance. We fix our eyes on ourselves, And we actually run from you instead of running to you. God, my, my prayer is that we would do business with your words through the Apostle Paul in this section of Philippians that we would work out our salvation, the salvation that you have freely gifted us, that we would work it out today so that you would be glorified, so that we would repent of our sin, fix our eyes on your son Jesus, and bring you glory. May we submit to your word. May we submit to the work that you were calling us to do for the glory of your name. And God, as we transition into a time of offering, Lord, please uh, continue to steer our hearts in worship. That even in a time of offering where we give you our stuff, we are proclaiming that we are not held by material or money, but that we are held and we stand firm in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. This is an opportunity for us to continue to worship you. This is an opportunity for us to demonstrate uh, our transformation as a result of your work in us. So may we give cheerfully, may we give uh, faithfully, and may we give sacrificially. And God, I pray that we would be good stewards of, this finan- of these finances for the purpose of making disciples and declaring uh, uh, your excellencies to our city. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.